0: how
1: do we get more capital? Isn't it a lot of trouble to get more capital? Who manages the investors? Who manages the money? We need help, but where do we go to get it? To answer those questions, Seth Farman. Seth, how are you? I'm doing well, Joel. Thanks for having me. Hey, listen, you are a very accomplished person. It is incredible to uh, talk to somebody who has started a variety of companies, had several exits, made plenty of dough, and, uh, and it's just it's exciting. So thank you for joining us. I appreciate you having me. I don't know about all those accolades, but uh, thanks for saying some nice things, about me. Well, you listen, we'll, uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, so actually it turns out that uh, one of the companies, uh, this Vstock, you've got Vstock Transfer, you've got Vstock VCheck, right? V-check, There's a, I'm a customer of VCheck because some, uh, some company that I'm a, uh, a customer of uses your service for me to pay them. So you have accomplished a lot. It's it's always great when you're uh, you're out
2: there and you actually meet customers or you know it it ha- it happens from time to time when when you're at a conference and I'll you know be talking to somebody and I'll be uh, I don't want to say pitching but I'll be you know talking about it and they're like oh yeah we we use you and you know it's it's a very humbling experience. So. No,
1: listen, it uh, you know it's it's one of the most exciting things that can happen to uh, to a business person, to a management team, to an entrepreneur is that. Uh, that the marketplace is using their product. And that's that's an exciting thing. So tell us real quick. So uh, what what business are you in now? Because you've been in a couple of different things. I, um,
2: I I juggle currently my time primarily between a firm called Vstock Transfer, where um, we are a uh, transfer agent focused primarily on uh, working with publicly traded companies uh, with a sweet spot towards IPOs, Reg A's, and, uh, and SPACs. Um, we'll, and we'll
1: have to talk about what that we'll, all means.
2: We can circle back about those uh, specific jargon, and and then a firm called VCheck Global, which is focused on uh, on background checks and uh, due diligence, and then a, a smaller firm called eSignature, which is a uh, an online service for medallion signature guarantees. Also, a very niche business in the uh, in the securities financial industry.
1: All right. So, uh, so first of all. Your background, you're a securities a securities attorney by your training, right? So A training, yes. Securities okay, attorney. so that means uh, that you went to college and you went to grad school and did all your stuff and you probably worked at a law firm studying all this kind of technical stuff. And by the way, securities attorneys, they basically work on all the stock related stuff that corporations and entities have related to the Securities and Exchange Commission and the markets, right, is that pretty close?
2: Yeah, yeah, we were um, really focused on helping companies raise capital and go public. But at that point in time, I was uh, essentially spending my day sitting behind paperwork to help these companies um, accomplish those goals. And I think it's at that point in time where I became, I guess the term is called a deal junkie, where I saw all this excitement going on and, and people ringing the NASDAQ bell and um, deals were happening and I was pretty much in the office 24-7 or 24-6. <laughs> and uh, I think it's right around that point where I had this bug to want uh, to become uh, part of the action. Because, you know, a lot of people, and Joel, I'm sure on your, on your show and I've heard some of your amazing podcasts, um, you probably meet a lot of entrepreneurs and they tell over these stories where, you know, when they were younger, they had these lemonade stands and they were selling baseball cards. And since they were kids, they were businessmen. That was not me. I mean, since I think tenth grade, I wanted to be a lawyer, and I was always a very straight, straight guy, and never had the concept of going into business or entrepreneurship. But um, you know, I saw all these deals happening, and I think that's when I got the bug to uh, to want to to want to be part of that.
1: You know, it's so funny you bring that up. The uh, the thing as kids, because. As a little kid, uh, me and another guy that I was friends with, we were eight or nine years old. We bought a little mini bike. We fixed it up. We bought it for $5, sold it for 10 You see, that, you're that kind of guy. Exactly. That, was like my, that was like my first deal I ever did. You know, it was really, it was the coolest thing ever. And, but, but what I really relate to about what you just said is uh, when I was uh, 25 or so or 24, 25, right out of school, uh, I was at Price Waterhouse doing the tax work. For a bunch of syndicators, guys that were raising money to buy real estate. And I just hated doing the tax work, but I love reading the partnership agreements. And I I quit the firm because I wanted to be a deal maker like those guys. And that's what I ended up doing, is I ended up, you know, going to the deal business. And it it just uh, you know, it, the exact same story as you. I mean, so uh let's explore that a little further. So, so you get this bug. So do, and, but, uh, but you got to find some problem to solve, right? I mean, that's because people pay to have problems solved. So what problem did you notice? That's the magic language. In other words,
2: there are a lot of businesses out there where people come up with a luxury item that they want to sell. But everything that I've done over the last 20 years has been based on a, on a, on a pain point or a problem that we want to plug up. So at the time, the process of doing SEC Edgar filings was expensive and complicated. And um, at the time I was writing the annual reports or the SEC filings. And so that was the first business I got into uh, was an SEC filing business called Vintage Filings with, uh, with my partner. And it was at that point where I was sleeping on my couch to provide this service. And, um, and, and the first business was born. There was uh, a bottle of vintage seltzer on the table. So we decided to call it Vintage Filings. Nothing more glamorous than that. No more thought went into it than that. Um, And that was the first business where we did SEC filings for publicly traded companies.
1: That's awesome. And so, uh, so that's the first, uh, so the first problem you solved had something to do with helping facilitate the filing process for these companies. Right. 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 And then, and then keep going. So what else happened then after that? So it went pretty good. Uh, So we we grew that business. We we, uh, had about
2: uh, 4,000 publicly traded companies. After about five years, we, uh, we had the, uh, good fortune. We were blessed to sell that to uh, to PR Newswire. And uh, we liked the filing business. So then we we started a firm called V Corp, where we did, instead of doing SEC filings, we did state filings. So uh, again, for, for all the listeners out there, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a sexy business. It was um, just doing incorporations. John's Pizza needs to incorporate. We helped facilitate that. Um, we grew that to about 10,000 customers. And uh, after a couple of years, we had the uh, good fortune. We, were, we sold that to uh, Walters Clore. And now I really was uh, challenging myself to say, okay, maybe, maybe the, the two times we did it, it was a fluke. Can we start another business? So we really, we've tried a couple other businesses outside of the corporate services. Agile, we failed miserably. Because that's not your sweet spot, right? It was not my sweet spot. We, we tried an apparel company called Little Brims. We went out to Vegas. Um, we went to the uh, what's it called the magic show out there?
1: Oh yeah yeah um, yeah yeah.
2: Yeah we we uh, yeah let, suffice it to say we 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 fell on our faces. Um, we tried a a weight loss company. Um, you know this was I'm dating myself pre uh, pre app where uh, I had this technology where you can upload a picture of yourself, um, choose how much weight you want to lose, and we'll digitize the picture and show you what you'll look like. <laughs> and again there was no concept of this back in the day. And we were picked up by Rachel Ray and Oprah and Ellen and we had like 300,000 uploads like every time we went on TV and uh it was it was free. And then when we you know turned on the hey we'll charge uh, 2.99 per per upload you know, crickets and the whole thing tank.
1: <laughs> and uh, you know, I think again, if you I, did that now, people would uh, accuse you of body shaming and making people. Oh, yeah, about I them. don't really want
2: to think about it. And plus, there were apps out there that do that in a second, you know. So, um, but I, I tried a bunch of other ventures and, you know, lost uh, a lot of shekel trying. And, um, you know, we went back into, uh, you know, staying within my lane. And at uh, at that time, we started, you know, uh, these other corporate services companies, V Stock and V Check. And- so, so
1: these are so these are co- corporate services. It's kind of the umbrella of, of most of these companies. Yeah. So That's- let's talk about this uh, V V Stock transfer now. And I assume V means virtual, or what does V mean? So so
2: so I'd like to say that it does, but as I said, that first company was the Vintage, and the only domain name that was available was V Filings, and so we just. We just stuck with the V. So it's really kind of more of just a coincidence. It's just a coincidence, yeah. Okay. I mean, um, So we everything that we've uh, we've done since then has. All
1: aired. right. Has so v. real quick, before we talk about your business and and kind of what you've done to make it happen, uh, because uh, growing a business to four thousand customers uh, is is not a small deal. I mean that that's a large percentage of the whole universe, by the way. I mean that's pretty good. So, uh, what exactly uh, is a transfer agent? That's what you guys are. Would you? Yeah. Is it, you want to start there, or do you want to start like back a couple steps and kind of yeah, explain I mean, a little can, bit about the process? We can,
2: we can, you know, we can circle back in terms of, you know, maybe some some pointers to the audience in terms of how I think that any company, whether you're in the, you know, the transfer business, you're in the capital markets business, or you're in the widgets business, you know, I think that the fundamentals are all the same in terms of, you know, perhaps some best practices to take away. Of, of, of really how to scale a company, how to pick up customers. Um, and really, I think it all comes down to trying to be authentic, trying to develop relationships, um, and trying to always give value to, to your audience. Um, but, you know, that's going to be the same regardless of the industry that you're in. But in terms of the transfer component, you know, really what we do is that for a, a, a company that's raising capital and they're going to be issuing shares – um, generally speaking they don't want to have to handle that excel sheet it's an administrative burden and more importantly as you know you know to the shareholders they want to know that it's legitimate and that somebody else is uh, is taking care of it from a compliance standpoint so that's really the role that we that we handle um, the compliance element the administrative element and uh, we handle that on behalf of the shareholders they can always call us and the issuer the company they know that that's something that we handle for them
1: so just to be, so just to clarify. So I've spent my career uh, in the private placement business, which is uh, raising money from private investors, uh, as opposed to uh, the public world, which is the stock market world. Right. So uh, yeah, and, and they're they're wildly different. My world's not regulated. Yours is highly regulated. Uh, you know, in our world, we have limited numbers of investors. In your world, there can be a million investors in a company. So, uh, you know, we can do it on an Excel spreadsheet. But in your world, it, it has to be done in a different way. The other thing about my world is that our shares are illiquid. You cannot sell them. They don't trade. They don't move there. Once you buy them, you own them for a long time. Yours, people could be changing every day, right? Yeah.
2: And, and, and that, that's a good point. In other words, there, there does come a point where because they're trading on an exchange, many of those shares are, are, um, are outside of the scope, even of what we do, because once we transfer them electronically, then they leave our books and records, and then they go into that electronic world. So there is an element of, of, uh, of publicly traded shares that we do not handle, but there is that, that element of shares that are on our books and records, like you say, that we do handle. And, and, and there are still private companies that engage us, um, even though, it, as you correctly said, it just sits there. It rarely moves around, but you still have those occasional circumstances um, whether it's a divorce, whether or not, you know, somebody passes and there's an estate transfer, those are still things that we'll, that we'll handle on behalf of the shareholders.
1: When it, what's it called when it goes to say a brokerage firm? Isn't it called going into their book or something like that? Book entry, yep,
2: you got a book that. Book entry, right. That. right, okay,
1: right. yeah. So we'll handle that and, and it sits on our so, so, So a block of shares goes to a brokerage firm, then they handle it from there because they're also licensed to be fiduciaries and and, and overseers and trustees or whatever, right?
2: Exactly, exactly. Like, so, for example, sometimes
1: on an IPO, we'll transfer a block of shares
2: directly to the brokerage firm, and then they'll divvy it up to the individual accounts at the, at the brokerage firm itself.
1: And they're, and they're um, responsible for keeping track of who owns what. So, you don't handle money. You only handle paperwork.
2: Yeah, we, um, we are really focused more so on the, uh, the shares themselves. Um, we're, not, we're not looking to act as escrow agents or anything like that. Um, So, uh, so, so you're correct in that. that. Are
1: these shares uh, backed by a, by an actual certificate, like a piece of paper or, or is it it just electronic?
2: It's actually a great question. You know, people just assume that in today's day and age where everything is technology focused that, you know, who, who uses certificates anymore, but you'd be surprised. I would say that probably 30% still prefer that old school touch and feel certificate. Um, The CEOs that are raising money, if uh, the circumstances is such that they want to give their investors that comfort level, that look and feel like, you know, Mr. Investor, I want you to have that certificate. You know, if you want to put it in your drawer, if you want that comfort level. And, uh, but I will say this, Joel, and, and, and from your experience, you might be able to, uh, to confirm this, you know, every once in a while we'll get that CEO that spends hours or days on the look, uh, of the certificate and the font and the design and the colors and and it it's inevitable that the more time they focus on the you know the uh, the, the logos and the the colors and the font. Those are always the shares that tank.
1: You know, I'll tell you the ones why. that never amount to anything. But me, I I can I can tell you why in five seconds. If that CEO is more concerned about what the, the certificate looks like, <laughs> exactly. that's, that CEO is not focused enough on what needs to be done, like <laughs> I'm, selling I'm and glad made, you like, said it, not me. <laughs> well, listen, I'll i say you know, listen, uh, my reputation is that I tell people what they need to hear, whether they like it or not. Exactly. And and I would I would be in a heartbeat, I would say that we listen, our clients uh, you know, our attorneys prepare all these certificates. We don't even give them a choice. If this is what it looks like. Now get out there and, and go do your business. You know, go buy real estate or whatever you're going to do, <laughs> exactly. uh, because it's because uh, it doesn't really matter unless you have a design yeah. team. And then, yeah, you know, no, I, I, I do think, think though that uh, our attorney still likes to give out certificates because these certificates, even though even though they're sort of suitable for framing, I mean, they, they look nice. They kind of give people a certain amount of comfort. You know, so you're kind of in a certain way you're in an old fashioned business. How old is this business? When, when did this business get started? How did it evolve? Do you know?
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's funny because one of, the, um, one of the smaller businesses that I mentioned earlier is, uh, is that e-signature business where we have to provide uh, this thing called a medallion stamp. Um, and uh, it's essentially like a notary on steroids. It, it's basically a stamp with green electronic security ink that confirms that you are who you say you are when you sign it. And um, very often we will get, you know, sometimes 10, 20 uh, certificates a day of people who are signing them and then we need to provide this green stamp. And so we see certificates, you know, besides seeing certificates from all types of companies, whether it's, you know, Starbucks or Disney or Snapchat, you know, uh, Verizon, AT&T, I mean, all types of companies, But sometimes we see certificates that are so old, like you you don't even want to touch it. You're you're afraid they're going to crumble, Um, you know, really, really old certificates. So I I don't know when it started, but um, I know that we are probably one of the largest FedEx users within the the zip code here because, um, you know, sometimes we could have 50, 100 or more uh, FedEx packages with certificates going out per day. Um, So certificates are still, you know, very much in vogue.
1: That's very cool. Um, you know, look, so, so we're looking backwards at the history of your business. Let's look forward in a second, you know, I mean, do you worry that you'll be disrupted by the blockchain or is, or are you going to adopt the blockchain, uh, to manage your, your certificate flow and all your, your entries? I mean, what, what, what are you thinking about?
2: So I'm going to, I'm going to come clean with you. Um, about, uh, two years ago, uh, I had a bit of a panic attack with that very question. And, um, it was in conjunction with a very uh, hot buzzword at the time called tokens. Um, you know, everybody was saying that between blockchains and tokens, um, the the world of shares and certificates was was essentially going to go away. And there were a lot of these companies that were looking to raise capital and issue tokens instead of uh, instead of certificates or shares. And so my partner and I really tried to become. Uh, first movers from a compliance and legal and, and, and technology standpoint. And we really positioned ourselves so that we could become a token agent. And we worked with these companies so that we were available. And what we found is that um, there really was not much of an audience that was ready to go from A to Z in making that happen. And so I think that that fizzled out. And um, although it's still there's still rumbling of that out there, it, uh, it seems to have quieted down. Um, but to-
1: tokens you know, though, that's different than you using the blockchain to manage yeah. your, your, uh, your infrastructure. Correct. So are, are, you, are you adopting these advanced technologies for management purposes?
2: You know, we've, we've looked into it and right now it's not something that we've adopted. It's, uh, we've looked into it and we have enough technology right now and for the foreseeable future that it doesn't integrate with what we're doing right now, that would make that would make anything better. If if we see something, and and I'm you know, and, and as I'm sure you are, I'm always like my ears to the ground. Like if there is something that I see here, whether it's to invest in, whether it's to um, integrate into the you know services that we're doing, or if there's a, a way that we can offer something to our clients that's going to make uh, their lives better, I- I'm all in. And so we're, we're always looking for that. But right now, I haven't found something that said, OK, if I had that, it would make their lives easier or my lives easier. Um, so right now, it's, uh, it's status quo.
1: Well, you know, it just, it just you know, as, as we move forward and more people understand it, uh, tokens people don't understand. It. And, and so that's why the adoption is low. But the blockchain is kind of as an infrastructure. Uh, it just seems like it's, it's got a lot of potential to help you. And uh, I don't know that it's terribly disruptive if you adopt it. Uh, although other people could say, well, we have uh, we have this same infrastructure, so you don't need those guys anymore. Is that is that going to happen or are you kind of disruption proof in a certain way?
2: Um, well, I, a, I hope not. But B, I, I think that because our industry is so heavily regulated, that that is a bit of a barrier to. Um, something like that coming in and just like e- being easily implemented right I mean because we're so heavily regulated whether it's by the SEC and there's so many different components in terms of uh, you know workflow and process of what we do um, that uh, it's 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 hard to to it's hard to, to implement change from that standpoint but but we're always looking you know if okay something hey, so, let's do so let's follow. talk about a
1: couple other things in, in the beginning of the show you talked about Uh, some specialty offerings. You know, you were talking about IPO, which is just the first time you go public, the first day. Um, And just so that everybody understands, and uh, just for clarification, an IPO, money comes in and goes to the company. That's the only day the company gets any money. Thereafter, uh, everything else is called secondary. The New York Stock Exchange is shareholders trading between themselves. The company isn't involved in that, right? right? But the shares still have to get renamed and reorganized and that's what you guys do, right? So that's IPO, and then you talked about a couple of things that we'll come back to. Um, I wanted to know if you guys are involved in any of the cryptocurrency uh, transactions. Are you doing any? Does this apply to crypto? Or or no, you know, these, no, no. They don't no. have anything like this. No, I think that the the hottest um,
2: the hottest thing that's you know out there right now that is. is uh, a buzzword, and I don't know if you if you're familiar with it or if your audience is uh, SPAC. Is that uh, yeah, yeah, something you've heard of? I mean, that's yeah. something that we the that we are we are uh, focused on. We've been involved in um, increasingly uh, recently, um, which is called a a special purpose acquisition company, and um, it's I can't explain it. It's just become the hottest buzzword everywhere I go. Everybody's talking about it, and it's basically an IPO buy a, I don't want to use a bad word, but it's, it's just, that's the word. It's a shell company. It's a company that has nothing in it. And their goal is to raise usually a hundred, 200, $500 million um, into this shell. They list on NASDAQ and New York Stock Exchange. And the entire purpose of this shell or this SPAC is for people to invest in it. And they're betting on the management team. And the goal is that within 18 months or so, this company has to use the funds to acquire an operating business. And then people get to vote if they agree with that acquisition target or not. And if they agree, then they complete that acquisition. And if not, then they refund the money and the deal doesn't happen.
1: So, right, that, so, so just the word shell is, is not a good word or a bad word. It's just, it's just what it is, right? It's just uh, what it is. Uh, just exactly. so that everybody understands. Uh, these are companies that were in another life previously public. Uh, maybe they went bankrupt or something and they got right. washed. to the bankruptcy it from courts.
2: It's created from scratch, which oh, is, it why, is like, yeah, it's just like incorporated today.
1: So they're um, on buying. These, these, these aren't, these aren't like uh, reverse mergers where they buy a right. shell, like a public shell, Correct. It's created it's a totally from different scratch. thing. It's like, as if it's, it's created from scratch with nothing in it. And then they do all the filings to make the thing public. And then they filings, raise the money on NASDAQ, into an
0: empty company,
2: real money, empty company, with a phenomenal blockbuster management team. Um, and so, for example, they'll put together a management team in a fintech company or management team in a biotech company with, with biotech experience. And they say their goal is, over the next 18 months, to use this $100, $200, $300 million to acquire a business in the biotech space. Um, if they find a good target, they'll, they'll vote. And if they, you know, if they... Get the approval; they'll move ahead, and if not, then they'll, you know, refund, and uh, and that's called a SPAC. But especially, you know, de- I, I
1: sort of always think that as markets change, uh, the investment bankers on Wall Street come up with different ways to <laughs> uh, to raise money and do things because one business gets soft, so they got to come up with another idea. I mean, that's what happened with reverse mergers, like in the uh, right. in the nineties. Things sure. were very soft for them, so they came up with this way of. of of backing one company into another company and putting them together. And they raised hundreds of millions of dollars doing that. And, you know, and that sort of sounds like the same thing, although this is kind of a good idea because it's kind of a reverse turnaround. Yeah. You know, instead of doing a turnaround or it's kind of a reverse roll up really where you're uh, you get the money first and then you go and you buy the companies. Uh, these guys on wall street are creative people and that's kind of your world. I've, I've been kind of tangential to that whole world for my whole career too. So it's, you know, it, it's it's a fun place. But, you know, so what are you seeing for the future of the marketplace? Are you seeing uh, a lot of growth? Are you seeing that the pandemic is going to uh, damage companies, uh, you know, for a while? What what are you seeing? Because I'll i tell you what I see in a minute, but go ahead.
2: Yeah, from, from our standpoint, um, you know, I think that we have seen over the last, call it, um, six to nine months, even since the pandemic had started, that the appetite for uh, Wall Street and the shareholder community has been extremely aggressive. Um, IPOs have been um, very, very busy. Uh, the secondary investments have been extremely busy. I mean, clearly, the, the actual stock market um, has been doing extremely well. And um, you know these SPACs have done extremely well. There, there, there have been more companies going public than, uh, than 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 prior to. And so, you know, although you would think that that the the private industry um, would be quiet, um, you know, I'm curious to know from your standpoint if if you're finding more companies um, launching um, in this type of environment, or if you're finding private companies having success in scaling in this environment but I can tell you from the public standpoint that, that it's, it's, it's doing phenomenal. Um, you know, companies uh, are, are raising capital and uh, and shareholders are, are thirsty for, for new deals. Um, and in particular, uh, in particular, by the way, um, which is amazing to watch in the, in the electric vehicle market, uh, which has just exploded.
1: Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, Um in my experience during this uh, first many months of the pandemic, uh, most everyone that I know is doing better than they were doing before. And, and I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to say that. Right. Because no, I, I know that. a lot of people are doing very badly. Of course. But the people who are doing very well, uh, almost everyone that I know is either, they're very creative, they're entrepreneurial, they're problem solvers, they're people that are out there making things happen. Uh, they, they just, they have a lot of control over their destiny. I guess if you're a factory worker and you go in and the factory closes down, uh, you just don't know what else to do. You're kind of at someone else's mercy. Most of the people that I know, like yourself, uh, control their destiny in some way. They're at a senior level in a company or they have their own company and they're uh, making some decisions. So my experience is that companies are growing. uh, There's plenty of capital for people to do things with uh, and and they're doing very well. Uh, and, and it's, uh, it's painful that there are people who are not doing well because it, it's really a shame uh, that we have this, uh, you know, I think a lot of our problems in our country is that people aren't trained to be creative. They're kind of like in a job They're they're like soldiers and they just do what they're told. And when, when there's nothing to do, they don't know what to do next. Right. So, you know, we kind of have this, that's kind of, to me, the way that I, I look at the gap between uh, people as their skill sets, their creativity and so forth. So uh I think that there's a a great amount of startup activity. I'll tell you what I think is going to happen going forward. Uh, I think the 2021 assets are going on sale. You know, I run a group of hedge fund managers um, and I advise these guys. And one of the things I've told them is start rolling your money together because 2021 is going to be the year where you're going to start striking. And here's what that means. Uh, You take a company like Carnival Cruise Line. um, They've dropped from what, $50 to 10 billion, Uh, they're running out of cash and they've got, uh, you know, seven or $8 billion of cash They're burning $500 million a month. Uh, They can't go on for very much longer, you know, and uh, there's not a lot of public talk about this, but uh, they can't go on for that much longer. So what ends up happening is that some private equity outfit, uh, it may not be a domestic one, by the way, is gonna come in and buy the whole company. So instead of being into the company for uh, five, you know, for $50 billion with all their leases and all their stuff, they're gonna end up buying the whole package for a couple billion dollars, and that will make that an exceedingly profitable company that they then can reinvest. And this is kind of the—it's uh, the evolution, the survival of the fittest of corporate America—is right. that, that you know one management team is going to get booted out, a new one's going to come in, uh, sort of no fault of their own except for that they had a, an inflated cost structure uh, that got deflated by the pandemic. And and so I see a lot of those kinds of transactions ready to happen. I see a lot of roll-up activity ready to happen. So uh, I think you're going to see a lot of business. I mean, I think a lot of stuff's going to happen. Good for you.
2: Well, the, from, from your mouth to God's ears, I'll, oh, I'll, I'll well. take it. Um, there you go. I, I agree. I, I think that, um, you know, everything that we've seen in terms of, you know, the capital markets is going to continue. Um, and, and, and just to go back to something you said before, Joel, just in terms of sort of those that are not necessarily positioned, um, you know, to, to take advantage of the capital markets, but you know, for those that find themselves without, uh, without an opportunity to, um, to be in the capital markets, but if, 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 if they can be creative, I do think that this is a unique opportunity to sort of, if they find themselves against the, against the wall and, you know, a lot of times people may have, may have like this bug in the back of their head, you know, like, oh, I've always wanted to start this, this, this company, or I've always had this idea, you know, but I've been in this job and, now they find themselves not of, of not having this job, you know just just you know pursue that idea that you that you once had or if it's been annoying at you for so
1: many years well let me let me just let me just uh you, let me refine that a little bit yeah uh, because you gave us the inside track on this already, and I didn't point it out at the time that you said it ten minutes ago, but the inside track is number one you have to solve a problem, a real problem. And number two, you gotta stay in your lane. And the way that I phrase that is that money follows expertise. You know, uh, you were a securities attorney and didn't like it that much but you were highly trained in a certain area and you ended up solving a problem that you understood very well and money has followed. And that's that's really the inside track. If you wanna start a very successful enterprise, You have to do something that's inside your lane. You start going into clothing, not so good. You start going into some other stuff, not so good. But when you stay uh, inside your lane, and it may not be the sexiest lane, by the way, just just to be clear, but that doesn't mean it's not an extremely important lane uh, to the business community, especially in New York, uh, where so much of this business happens. So, uh, to me, uh, you know, for our listeners. Uh, if, if they are looking at uh, changing or doing something different if uh, if business reorganized or whatever, um, they got to do something that's inside their lane. That's it. That's it. So I do want to talk before we go, I do want to talk for a few minutes about reggae plus because these reggae plus deals are really cool deals and it's not widely understood. Could you give us a little background and you
2: know. yeah, I mean historically you know when companies were looking to raise money, they would go, um, you know, to institutional investors, they would go to investment bankers. Um, and then, you know, the world of crowdfunding and reggae Plus came where companies were given an opportunity to raise smaller amounts of money from uh, large numbers of investors. Um, you know, a, a, and it could be a, a $1,000, $2,000 from, um, you know, from 10,000, 15, 20,000 investors. And so, you um, that was a new concept, and we had an opportunity to be involved with um, companies that were on the OTC or the NASDAQ. And it, it's something that has become extremely sought after, uh, specifically, I would say, over the last six months. And you've got all types of companies, and the companies um, that have a, an existing following are, are the ones that do the best with it, or if they really focus on marketing. Really, really well to the masses, those are also companies that can benefit uh significantly from they, they tend reggae. they
1: tend to be companies that have some kind of an affinity or something like uh didn't didn't uh the hard rock hotel do a do a reggae plus offering and they said, listen, anybody who's a big fan of ours can buy shares, and then you also get the right to uh, use our property from time to time, and you get a free hotel room. So these companies kind of did some other There's stuff. it has got to be some um, kind of
2: like hook, exactly. Yeah, like, you so it with exactly Kathy, right. Kathy Ireland, you know, yeah. she has a massive following. So it was easy for them to sort of combine a product, a service, uh, a following, um, all, all, all in one. Those are the types of companies that, that regulate Right, the
1: more, the more sexier deals tend to do better than that because consumers are more attracted to that. But uh, but it's a great way for companies to raise up to fifty million dollars uh, yes. for uh, you know, with much less uh, you know compliance costs and other kinds of things. So it's uh, it's an important thing for people to understand. But listen, Seth, you uh, you are a gentleman. You're you're a highly uh, uh, decorated uh, businessman. You, you've just done an awesome job and. Thank you very much for, for sharing your wisdom, sharing the inside track on really what it takes to, to be successful and kind of starting something from scratch and taking it through completion, which is something that not very many people have done. I appreciate that. And I do
2: hope that uh, when this is all over, either uh, I'll get to meet you in person uh, in New York or I uh, would love to, uh, to sit down in LA. Well, we'll certainly make that happen. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks again.
0: You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com.
1: How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Autovita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audivita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A dot
0: Produced by Audivita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.